0: We are continuing in our Advent meditations this week, uh, seeking to focus and prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate again the coming of Christ at Christmas. So typically I'll just take a passage, kind of a Christmas passage, and work through it more devotionally, but I'm approaching it a little bit more technically this go-around, probably because I've been in a more technical theology class Uh, right now, and I found it to be quite enriching, so I'm trying to uh, change it up, see if maybe you might find the same. If not, don't worry, we won't do it forever. But uh, last week we talked about the hypostatic union, the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man, particularly focusing on the mystery of the uh, union of his divine and human natures and also on some of the significance for our salvation. This week, I want to focus on the no ability and condescension. No ability and condescension. Not this. That is heresy. But this. No ability and condescension. That's right. Um, With the knowability of God, we just start with the question, is God knowable? And you might think, well, that's kind of a needless question. Of course he's knowable. But you think about how many people answer that question no. Um, Atheists, they say there is no God, so we don't even have to ask the question. Agnostics say, yeah, there might be a God, but if there is, we could never know him. Uh, He was so much different than us, we would never know him. And agnosticism is really a secular repackaging of deism, which was popular in our nation around the time of its founding, uh, which recognized, yes, there is a God, but he's so much different than us that we could never know him personally. Which also found a related expression in the liberal theologies of the early 1900s, mid-1900s, Trying to make a comeback today. If you ever hear of the Jesus Seminar, you don't want to get cozy with the Jesus Seminar. They're liberal theologians. And again, one of the big things that they say is that there's such a gap between God and man. You know, God is so much other than us that the only thing we can really know about God is that He's so much greater than us, we can't really know Him. Um, now, all of this has an appearance of wisdom. Right? I mean, at first glance, it's like, what? I mean, they're they're kind of talking highly about God. They're saying, he's so great, and he's so much better. um, Seems kind of smart. But they're all saying, he's so great, we can't know him. We have to remember, you know, the most convincing lies have an appearance of truth. Uh, I think it really is compelling to the people that (coughs) subscribe. So what is the... Biblical response. Is God knowable? Well, one thing we need to start in agreement with those people that say there is such a gap. You know, um, the gap between God and man is absolutely great. And it is greater even than these agnostics or deists or liberals realize. We open to the first page of the Bible and we find the almighty God creator of heaven and earth. We find that we are created. There is an infinite gap between the Creator and the created. God was before time began. God thought up time and space. He is not limited by time and space. And we were created by Him in a particular time, in a particular space. God is infinite. We are finite. In an important sense, God is incomprehensible, is a theological term that people will use. But we cannot comprehend God. Listen to these verses from the Scriptures. Uh, first, Psalm 145.3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Isaiah 55.8-9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Romans eleven thirty four. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways. God's greatness is unsearchable. We can't plumb its depths. His thoughts, His ways, His wisdom, His knowledge, His being—unsearchable and inscrutable. Which just means we can't. It's impossible for us to comprehend the lengths, the depths, the heights of God God is God there is no other we are his created he is in an important sense incomprehensible to us we cannot comprehend him I think I said this last week but even if we are full of wisdom which we're not but even if we were we would be like a thimble next to a never-ending ocean um, and it's not even that close It's just, you know, every illustration breaks down. He is God, we are not, and uh, the gap is infinite. So we can agree that God is so great. But this does not mean that God is not knowable. There's a major difference between saying that you can't comprehend God and you cannot know God at all. God is knowable, and though we cannot know God fully, we can know God truly. And he is knowable because he has condescended to reveal himself. Now, what do we mean when we say God has condescended? Um, you know, we tend to think about condescension in an, with a negative con- connotation. You'd make a condescending comment. But that's not what we mean because God's condescension to us flows out of his love for us. Listen to J.I. Packer on God's condescension. He says, It is the quality in God whereby he lovingly identifies with what is beneath him. The classical name is God's condescension, which expresses his coming down to be with. His condescension is a gesture of love so that we can understand. He condescends by becoming human. He condescends by using simple, unliterary language to proclaim his gospel to all men. God in his love adapts to our childishness in spiritual things. He lowers himself, he condescends, he comes down to us. John Calvin about the same he talks about God's accommodation which is uh, the same thing. God, he said, "God prattles with us so that we can understand." Think about like a mother talking to her child or to a baby. He goes below his perfect sovereign dignity. He lowers himself. He humbles himself. Um, He condescends to us. So God has condescended. He has lovingly come down to our level to make himself known. And he has made himself known so that we can know him. God is knowable because he's condescended to reveal himself. And he has revealed himself so that we would know. Know Him. Now, so Orthodox thinkers have always said that these uh, unbelievers are right, that the gap between God and man is so great, but, um, you know, that does not mean that we can't know Him. And, uh, you know, God has not just revealed Himself as some all-powerful supreme force that we cannot know. God has revealed Himself as personal. So, if you, you can turn there if you like. I'm just going to mention a few things starting in Genesis 1. But um, even from the beginning of the Bible, you open the first page, and you see, you know, God is all-powerful. He's the creator of everything. Maybe if we're just focusing on this, uh, you know, the, the force and, and power of God and in Genesis 1, we might be able to say that He is... Um, that we couldn't know him. He's so far above us. We're just his creatures. But he's also throughout revealing himself in a very personal way. He is speaking his creation into existence. He is seeing that it is good. Now, we would call that anthropomorphic language, God uh, revealing himself, again, condescending, teaching us what he is like uh, in language that we can understand. Does God have eyes? No. No. Does he see? Yeah. I mean, does he see like we see? No, not with the same like structures in our eyes and things like that. But again, he's showing us what he's like in personal terms that we can understand. Um, You go to the end of the chapter and we see more of God's personal nature. We have in verse 26 a veiled reference to the Trinity. God says, let us Make man in our image after our likeness. Now this is interesting, and if you've never noticed this, it's very important. Because God refers to Himself there in verse 26 in the plural. But it's interesting because He's already been referred to 20 plus times in the chapter in the singular. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters." And God said, let there be light. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You can't read Genesis 1 without saying God, 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 God. God said, God saw, over and over again. But, and, and remember that this scripture was originally given in a polytheistic culture where they worshipped many gods. You know, like Egypt and, and they had all these gods. And um, One of the main points of the opening passage of scripture is that there's only one true God. Not many gods, one God. And he is our creator. He is the one that has created everything. But then we get to the end of the chapter and we see that the one true God refers to himself in the plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, that doesn't mean that we get a full explanation of the doctrine of the Trinity here, but it is there in seed form to be developed throughout the scriptures later. What's the point? Well, I was trying to point out that God is knowable. He is knowable because he has condescended to reveal himself, and he has revealed himself to be personal. One of the most basic, most important insights that we can have about our triune God is that he has always existed in the plural within himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit. So one way to think about this is he has always existed in relationship within himself. God is personal, and he made us in his image. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So being created in God's image means a number of things, one of the most important of which is that we were made for relationship. We were made personal by our personal God. Relationship with God relationship with one another, which is obvious in the first couple chapters of Genesis. So yes, God is knowable. He is knowable because he has condescended to reveal himself, and he has revealed himself as personal. And in fact, the Bible even goes beyond saying that he is knowable. It says that every human being knows him in some sense. So turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at that. Romans chapter 1. Will someone read verses 18 to 25? Who wants to read that? Andy, now would a lady read 26 to 32? Okay, Okay, Stephanie. All right, Andy. All
1: right, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up from the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies and themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen.
0: Thank you. All right. According to this passage, how does every human being uh, know that God exists? His creation. His creation. There's also another way that's mentioned in there. It's kind of more implied. His wrath. No, uh, his conscience. No, that's. It does talk about his wrath, and his wrath is revealed, um, but although I don't know that everyone reads it as wrath, but you know we, uh, we know God through creation and conscience. So it, it highlights He's made Himself known through the things that have been made ever since the creation of the world. Uh, his eternal power, His divine nature. Everyone knows God through His creation. But also, it points to the fact that they knew God but did not honor Him as God. They, it says in the beginning, uh, and we, I mean this is about every unbeliever. Before you came to Christ, this was, your, this was you. You know God and yet it says you suppress the truth. So in our sin, we suppress or hold down, push away the truth of what we know in our conscience. So Romans 1 teaches us that every human being in their natural sinful state knows God. They know Him because He's revealed Himself in creation. They know Him in their conscience. They know that there's a God. One of the interesting uh, examples that people like to use of this is if you go discover a new tribe in Africa, you will not find there an atheistic tribe. You may find a confused tribe uh, worshiping all sorts of gods and, and ancestors and things like that, but there is, we have within us some kind of concept of God, though it's all distorted and perverted in our sin, we know there's a God. And you see this by going to a a tribe, and there's no atheistic tribes pontificating about their atheisms. No, they're trying to worship because there is uh, this capacity for, this need for worship in our design. Um, God has made Himself known to mankind He has made Himself known that we would know Him. And what we learn in Romans 1 is we're on the hook. Every human being must seek out and find this God or else stay under His wrath and condemnation for our sin. We must repent our sins. We must uh, repent of our false worship to the creation and worship God and serve Him. Our Creator. Of course, the problem is that our sin has so blinded us that we can't see him. That we worship ancestors and, and we do all sorts of crazy stuff. And how are we going to know God like no-no? We know him in some sense because he's created us and created everything. But how are we going to know-no know God? Um, we're so hardened by our sin, we can't seek him. We wouldn't seek him. We don't want to seek it. We don't want him. You know, as someone said recently, how do unbelievers respond to thoughts of the judgment of God? They dread it and they hate it. You know, you you are afraid of it in a sense, and you hate it and want him to be overthrown. Um, That's the heart of sin, the heart of unbelief. But... So we have to find more out about this God. We have to know-know Him. We know Him, but that's only enough to really condemn us. We need to know-know. And what we find is that uh, this God of abundant, amazing, overflowing grace and mercy and steadfast love has further revealed Himself. Not only has God revealed Himself in creation, but in His amazing grace, He has condescended even further to reveal Himself to His enemies, in redemption as well. Uh, One of the biggest ways that he has done this is by giving us the Scriptures. You know, we're on the hook for knowing God and serving God and worshiping God. Everyone knows he is there, but we need to know, know. We need to respond to him in submission and, and reverence and worship. And we don't even... We know that he's there in some vague sense, but we don't really know him, know him. And that's not something we can do on our own. But he has condescended to give us his word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Does anybody know the difference uh, between these uh, two kinds of revelation? God, what are they called? God revealing himself in creation versus God revealing himself in scripture. General revelation versus special revelation. General revelation is what Romans 1 is talking about. God has generally revealed Himself to everyone. Everyone knows that He is there. But that is not enough knowledge to save us. In order to be saved, we need special revelation. We need God to further condescend God gave us his word so that we could know know him. And he wrote his word in human language. You know, we just think that's a right of ours. But that is God is God, and he comes down, not only does he write in human language, but he doesn't write in some scholarly Latin. He writes in blue-collar Greek. That's what the language of the New Testament is, Koine Greek, common man's Greek, because he comes down and stoops to our stupidity, to our blindness, to our simpleness, because he loves us. And he, it's like prattling a mother with a baby, and he gets on our level, and he speaks to us, and he reveals himself. God has condescended to reveal himself in creation, but he has condescended, condescended to reveal himself savingly to us. All right, let's try to bring this in for a landing. And what does this have to do with Christmas? Uh, In the scriptures, we see three general ways in which God has specially revealed himself to his people. Three types of special revelation. We have theophanies, which are uh, appearances of God. Theophany is an appearance of God. So an example would be uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham. You see that in Genesis 18 or uh, later in Genesis 32. God appears to Jacob. God wrestles with Jacob. Theophanies is one way that God specially reveals himself to his people. We also have direct communication. Uh, an example of this would be God speaking audibly to Moses, or God speaking audibly at Jesus' baptism, God speaking audibly at the Transfiguration, um, as we read about in the Scriptures, but also just the Scriptures as a whole, that's direct communication from God. God speaking to man. So we have theophanies, is a way God specially reveals Himself, condescends to us. We have uh, direct communication. And thirdly, we have miracles. So, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, water from the rock, all of Jesus' miracles. This is, you know, God condescending to specially reveal himself. Now, what does all this have to do with Jesus? Well, we have three types of special revelation. We have appearances of God. We have God directly communicating with us. And we have miracles. What is the incarnation? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus Christ is the ultimate theophany. It is the ultimate appearance of God. It is the ultimate special revelation of God. Or what about direct communication? God came to be with us. He took on flesh. He became a man. It is the ultimate direct communication of God. What about miracles? Well, the incarnation of Jesus Christ the conception and birth of the God-man is the greatest miracle. So again, it is uh, the greatest example on those three ways that we identify God specially reveals Himself. It's the greatest theophany. It's the greatest bit of direct communication. He is the exact image of God in flesh. And uh, it is... The greatest miracle. Back to the knowability and condescension of God, the incarnation is the supreme proof of the knowability of God. Jesus said himself, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He has revealed himself. He has personally revealed himself so that we would know him. He has condescended to us. The incarnation is the greatest example of the condescension of God. God entered our world He became a man. God became a man. Maybe our thoughts of God aren't high enough so that we can't even begin to appreciate how much he has stooped. And not only did he become a man, he went to the cross to die a um, criminal's death. All so that we would know him. He has condescended to us. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is Christmas. It's about the knowability of God and the condescension of God. Maybe those are terms that you don't ever think about, questions that you don't ever ask, uh, but questions that people have asked, and we'll say in a second why they may be relevant um, for us. But, you know, he's revealed himself, he's condescended, he's knowable not only in creation, but especially in redemption. In application of this, I would just say this. Um, don't be eager to rush to application. <laughs> One of the greatest needs, the greatest need, it is the greatest need in our life, is to know God. You know, in R.C. Sproul's passing, I've been trying to get my hands on anything that I see on social media, whether it's a sermon that he uh, was shared or just little sound bites, and I'm trying to pass them all to Dr. Young. It's really affected him. Uh, he was a personal mentor to him, and, and but I've listened to him as well. And the theme that has come out. The legacy that R.C. Sproul left is holiness of God. The thing that he trumpeted more than anything was, the, was who God is, how other He is than us, how incomprehensible He is to us. Uh, there's a great little blip, uh, two minutes out there, called What's Wrong With You People? You look for it. And essentially, someone asked... Why on a panel, why was God so severe in response to sin in the garden? And R.C. said, what? So severe? And he he got really mad. What is wrong with you people? And he says, this is the problem in the church today. We don't know God. So severe. The question is, why wasn't He more severe? We have sinned against the Holy God. And He has lovingly, Graciously, not obliterated us off the face of the planet, even clothed us in our nakedness and shame, and promised one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. He has been loving in his response, gracious in his response, but because we don't know God, because we don't understand the holiness of God. Um, so I would just say get caught up in thinking about some of these things God's incomprehensibility. The fact that He's so much other than us, so much greater than us, so much holier than us. We have no right to Him. But from that, you can understand more of His love, His condescension, His mercy, His grace, His kindness. That He prattles with us. That He, he comes down to our level. That we are not only are we simpletons, but we are rebellious simpletons. And He has come to get us and loved us in our rebellion most notably in Christ who is uh, the ultimate special revelation of God. He has come to us when we could not find our way back to him. Um, He has come to get us. So first application is don't rush to application. We need to know God. But in that, uh, that being said a couple applications, even just in our witness, maybe you don't know many deists, but you might know an agnostic or two and, uh, You know, maybe you don't bump into liberal theologians and and have conversations with them. But you, even if they don't classify themselves and haven't thought through, surely at some point in your life you're going to have a conversation with someone that speaks about God this way. Yeah, I believe that there's a God. But, I mean, what would he want to do with little old me? You know, it's not like I could actually really know him. And, uh, you know, to which you can say, you're right, there is a God. And you're wrong. You can know him. In fact, he made you to know him. And we messed all that up in our sin, but He has come down to our level in Christ. And in fact, we're on the hook to know Him. And we're on the hook to serve Him and worship Him. Um, you know, you can share the gospel. Or even the new age, which is kind of the prevailing wind. You know, when anyone on Facebook asks for positive vibes, that's just kind of a new age thing. And uh, don't do that. Don't, don't send vibes. I don't even know how one sends vibes. But certainly don't ask for vibes, but don't try to send them either. You might get hurt. Um, But the whole New Age thing, really what they're saying is just whatever you make God, as long as you're sincere, you know, it's kind of the Oprah effect. Like we, yeah, but you're good and I'm good and we all kind of do our thing and there's reverence and, and it's good. It's God higher power christ consciousness is another thing you hear about well that's really just your god and you're you're kind of putting it in some spiritual terms um but we say well that's really a problem because there's only one true god and he has spoken he has spoken the world into existence he has spoken us into existence he created us we're on the hook to know him we do know him you know him you know that he's there and all this other hooey about all these other gods is just suppressing that truth, pushing it down, holding it back, so that you don't have to repent. But we know that there's a God. He's made Himself known. And He has condescended to us, even in our sin and our rebellion and our suppressing of that truth in His Son. Um, anyway, what other thoughts do you guys have? I've rambled on at this point. Any questions or thoughts? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we, um, we confess that we have thought little of you. And we have no rights to you. We have rebelled against you. You are holy, 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 and we cannot even comprehend your greatness. We can't search it out. It is beyond what we can understand. And yet, Lord, you have come down to our level lovingly, to make yourself known, not only in creation in a general way, though you have. And uh, we thank you that you have. We thank you that even from the time we were young, we knew that you were there. We had a sense within us that our life was not our own, even though we suppressed that and went our own way and continue at times to uh, seek to serve ourselves and worship the creation rather than the Creator. But thank you, Lord. For your grace. Thank you that you have stooped to us in humbling yourself and becoming a man and living a perfect life on our behalf and going to the cross to pay for our sins. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the supreme example of the knowability and condescension of God. And uh, pray that you would help us to understand a little bit more this Christmas of just how far you've gone to love us and save us. And Lord, we do pray that you would equip us and strengthen us to uh, minister to a world around us, uh, many of whom have bought into the lives just like we did, and give us a clear and bold, faithful, loving, compassionate witness. And would you add to our number, even every day, those who are being saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good.